What's going on, Porch? How we doing, Fort Worth? We got people listening all over the world. We're so uh, glad that you're tuning in. Let me say this up front. These churches just around the country are gathering in rooms and putting on the porch. And I'm so proud of you that you have caught a vision of what God wants to do through young adults, 20s and 30-somethings, to change the world, to reclaim the world for the sake of Christ. I want you to know that I prayed for you today, I thought about you, and I'm crazy encouraged uh, that you would gather in this way and just kind of join this movement that God is doing in spite of us. And so we are back in 1 Peter chapter 2, focusing on two primary verses this evening. I'll read them to you. Dear friends, verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let me pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your servant Peter who walked with Jesus who saw Jesus firsthand as an example and who scribed these letters to the scattered church that you have preserved for thousands of years so that we might open tonight and that your Holy Spirit would minister to us through the reading and the preaching of your word. Father, protect these friends from my opinion. And Father, awaken our hearts to your desires. So that, we live, so that we may live them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Anybody here like to travel? Okay. I love to travel. Monica and I love to travel, love to go new places. Didn't travel much growing up. Like growing up, uh, vacation was like San Antonio. Uh, we would like, if we wanted to go real big, we'd like go to the Guadalupe, like tube the river or something. Like that was doing it right. And um and so I just didn't really see the world much growing up. And then when I became a Christian as an adult in my 20s, I, um, it, it was interesting because like instantly I started going on these discipleship trips. In fact, one of the first trips I went on was to Rwanda in Africa and we were training the government on conflict resolution. And so when you go on a trip like that, you're thinking about what it's going to be like. You have no idea. Like you just don't know what it's going to be like when you get there. And so I had all of this anticipation, this long uh, plane ride, and as soon as I get off the, the plane and, and leave the airport, I'm walking down the street and these kids kind of gather around me. They're like, Mzungu, Mzungu, Mzungu. They're like, tall white man, you know? I, don't, I guess that's what that means. And, and, uh, and so you instantly realize, like, you're not home. They're like, foreigner, foreigner. And, uh, and so then, the next day I wake up to teach and it's hot, it's like 108 degrees, and so I'm in shorts, and they're like, no, 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 you can't, you can't wear shorts, why, why, it's hot, they're like, oh no, here, only boys under 10 years of age wear shorts, like if you're over 10, you wear pants, and I'm like, I'm trying to get my head around this, but there's things that you want to know if you're a foreigner, right, you want to understand their culture, and so they're essentially saying, no, you're just, you're about to teach in like a SpongeBob SquarePants shirt or something, you know, that's what, and if you wore one, I'm sorry, you shouldn't, and, uh, and so, like, they're like, they're helping me, like, you can't do that, and so there are all these things I've began to learn, like, we went to, to have a meal, 
And, you know, in America, it's like women first, ladies go first. There, it's elderly first. And so whoever's the oldest, they would, would go first. And, and if you went to kind of grab food, you would never use your left hand because your left hand was your uh, sanitizing hand. Your left hand was the one you'd use to clean yourself after you went to the restroom. I didn't, you know, I didn't know either, right? And so if you're there in the lunch line and you reach for the, like, spoon with your left hand, everybody's like, oh, man, we're done. <laughs> you know? we're not, and I'm like, well, somebody should have told me. I didn't know that's what that hand was for, you know? <laughs> and what's interesting is when you would walk with someone, like a, a man, a brother in Christ, they'd grab your hand and they'd walk with you hand in hand. They, they would interweave the fingers. It's not awkward. It's not awkward. Like, that's what I kept telling myself. And so much so that when, when, um, when I was teaching through the translator, through the interpreter, that's the first thing that he did was he reached for my hand. And the whole time I'm preaching, we're walking around hand in hand, he and I, fingers interlocked like, like we're on a date. And, um, and when you would greet someone, when you would greet someone, they would, you, you would bump foreheads and then kiss each cheek. I didn't know. You know, and I'm a tall guy. And so the dude goes in for this like Muay Thai clinch and like pulls me down. And, and it's like this awkward kind of first kiss. I'm like, what are we doing here? And, and uh, I just wish I knew, you know, I wish someone would have told me about this. And, and so this is true for when you go to different places. Uh, in Israel, I was on the Temple Mount with Monica and I had my hand on her back like this. And we were stopped by the authorities. You can't even be in close proximity with someone of the opposite sex. It is illegal to touch a woman in this area. I mean, like, like, like hold hands or anything. Like somebody, we're about to go, we're about to get arrested because I'm walking with my wife with my hand on her back. Who knew? Like, I wish I would have known this stuff. In Jordan, if you compliment someone uh, on anything, like you say, man, I, I really like that picture, they'll, they'll give it to you. Just because the, the culture is so hospitable. If you say, man, what a beautiful place you have. They're like, here's the keys. You want my house? What? I'm leaving. And like, somebody needs to tell me these things. In the Amazon, if they cook something for you and they offer it to you, it is incredibly offensive not to eat it right there. Whatever it is. And you may not know. Like one guy got boiled ants. And yeah, we didn't know what it was. But, but it's like you eat it or you have offended an entire people group. In Haiti, if you shake one person's hand, you have to shake everyone's hand. And so like we're in this church of like a thousand people and I'm like, oh, hey, how you doing? And then people are lining up. I'm like, oh, take that back, you know? You know, what's up? And, and so it's just good to know these things if you're a foreigner, if you go somewhere, it is important to know the do's and the don'ts of that place. And so in these two verses of 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter is going to remind us that we are like foreigners. And he's going to give us the do's and don'ts of surviving this world as a follower of Christ. And the problem with this text is if you've come to faith as a 20-something or a 30-something, then what has happened is you've kind of started to understand the world. Like some of you, you're like, dude, I got the world. 
Like I'm great at the world. I know how to dress. I know the language to talk. I know, I know how to make money. I can do good in business. I'm pretty, I'm cute, I'm handsome, right? I, I understand the world. And then you come in and you collide with Jesus and it's like you're learning to walk all over again. And you're like, man, these Christians are goofy. Like how do I, I don't even know. Like how do I reprioritize everything? And can you even have fun as a Christian? And you're learning a new world. And that's the world that Peter's going to talk to us about today. And I think a barrier to this message is that for so many of us, we think that Christianity is an idea that you add to your life. And friends, it's not. It's the thrust of your life. It's the trajectory of your life. It's the road of your life and the vehicle traveling on that road. And, and it's what makes that vehicle go. Christianity is everything. It is all-encompassing. It's who you are if you have a relationship with Jesus. It is not an accessory. You cannot view it as an accessory. It changes everything about you. As David said last week, it changes your purpose. And we're going to look at how to survive in this world, like if you're here and you think about, when you dream about the future, you, you simply dream about maximizing your life in this world. You simply dream about like the next 40 or 60 years. You don't get it. That you're an eternal being. You're gonna live somewhere forever. Your soul is going to exist somewhere for eternity, forever and ever and ever. 600 years from now, still going. 600 billion years from now, still going. You're still somewhere. That's the future. That's your future. We have to get that we belong to that world, which is here. And so more on that. We are like a foreigner. So we're talking about how to live like a foreigner. We're in First Peter. Peter was a friend of Jesus. As I said, he knew him. He walked with him. He denied him. And then he was restored to him in John chapter 21. He was a fisherman turned fisher of men. He wrote this uh, book to the Jews and the Greeks that have trusted in Christ who were scattered around Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, about 30 years after Jesus died. And so we're gonna, as we move through these two verses, we're gonna talk about how you're not home, what you don't do, and what you must do as a foreigner. He says in verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war, against your soul. We're gonna hit on this idea, strangers and exiles. He's saying this, don't settle for this world. That's my first point. You cannot settle for this world. Don't settle in. Live as, verse 11 says, foreigners and exiles. And so the people that are surrounded, uh, that you are surrounded by in this world, they are not your people. They don't belong to the kingdom that you belong to. You don't want to get swept up in that culture. You're different. You're to stand apart from them. The apostle Paul tells us like stars against a, a dark night that stand in contrast, that you're to shine as you live in this place that you don't belong to. And the place that you live in, now we're going to go theology, deep water a little bit. The place that you live in is not what it will be. Christ is gonna come back here and it's going to be a new earth that we're gonna live in forever and ever and ever and ever. Heaven is here. Heaven's not this place that you float up to in the clouds with angels and harps. Heaven's gonna be here. And what this does, see, as I said, I like to travel. 
And there's this like angst in me that I want to see the world. I want to go to places. Whenever I travel, I want to go somewhere that I've never been. And I want to experience it. And I want new experiences. And if I don't, and you go somewhere that I haven't been, I feel like I'm missing out. You know, I'm looking on your Instagram feed and I'm like, hashtag FOMO everywhere. You know, like I, I want to go and see it all. But the fact that I'm going to be here forever means that I don't have to cram everything into the next 60 years. That if I want to go to Thailand, I don't have to go to Thailand in the next 60 years. I can go to Thailand in 600 years. And I can see Thailand in its redeemed state, in its perfect state, without sin, disease, and death. I can go to Thailand. I'll go one day. You can go with me. And, and we'll see it without sex trafficking, without the corruption that sin has ushered in there. And if you think the beaches there are beautiful now, you should see them. We will see them in their redeemed state. And I don't, I don't need to experience that now. I've got the rest of the rest of the rest to experience that because that's the world I belong to. It's a, it's a new world here. Right now I live in this broken world like you as a foreigner and an exile. And so until then, friend, hang on. Stay the course. If this, if this life feels really hard, it's beating you down, relax. It's not the world you belong to. It's not the one you will exist in forever. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord and create time and space to renew your mind around that reality. Every day, it's important, every day. There's two kinds of people here. There, there's those of you that have been with Jesus today and those of you who say you know him but you spent zero time with him today. And you don't know him. If you didn't spend time with him, you don't know him. If you, if you have not prioritized him today, you don't know him as you should. I pray that you get to know him. When I go to Africa, I'm a visitor on a mission. My days there are purposeful. I don't, I don't just kind of make that place like I'm staying at home. I don't expect it to be comfortable. I don't get to that, that bed and see that mattress and think, oh man, you know, the first thing I'm gonna do, I'm gonna go to Amazon Prime and order a Tempur-Pedic because I'm gonna stay here. I'm gonna make my home here. No, I don't do that. I'm, I'm there on mission. I, I sleep at night. I wake up the next day. I'm like, hey, we're gonna go to this village and share with these people and do this and love them and go on mission. I'm focused. That's this life. That's, that's today, that's tomorrow, that's your agenda. See, when you try to make this place your home, you're settling for second best. See, if you know Christ, this is as bad as you're ever going to experience. But if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, this is as good as it gets. It's all you got, you will never experience anything better than this broken world. But if you know Jesus, man, the good times here, they're just simply commercials of perfection to come, paradise to come. And so we stand out in this world as foreigners by the way we do everything, by the way we date. They call us crazy. Why would you date that way with purity? That's crazy. Try, you gotta try out before you buy. You gotta make sure everything fits. Like, that's crazy. No, it's godly. We stand out by the way we don't objectify women 
or objectify the opposite sex. We don't use people. We stand out by the way we act at the company happy hour or whether we go or not. We stand out by the way we spend money. It communicates the world that we belong to, the way we spend money, the things we buy and invest in and give to. What we do on the weekend communicates the world that we live in or how we pursue comforts, like we're gonna be here forever or we're just passing through on mission. When I go on mission, I expect to be uncomfortable. It comes down to my expectations. And Peter is saying that we're at war, that we're like soldiers who have been deployed. Have you guys, anybody seen Hacksaw Ridge? The movie's like divided into to two settings. One he's at home and one he's at war. And it's very different. The, the scenes are very different. When he's at home, it's, it's dating and sweet and laughter and, and birds chirping. And then he goes to war, he's deployed. And he's not walking over dead bodies, picking up the limbs of his friends, dodging enemy fire, you know, trying to escape that which is seeking to hunt him and kill him and has killed his friends. He's not walking around on the battlefield, seeing the explosions and smelling the stench of death, wondering, am I home? Am I, should I set up shop here, build a house here, get comfortable here? Am I at home? No, man, you're at war. And there's an enemy after you, seeking to kill you. He wants to destroy your marriage long before you ever even met the prospect. He wants your children to hate you decades before you have them. He wants you to be discontent in your job, to use people and love money. And he's got a battle plan. You gotta be smart. You gotta fight smart. Second Timothy two verse four says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. And so he's, he's hit on this idea that we're foreigners and exiles and now he's going to tell us what we don't do and then he's going to tell us what we are to do. That's how he's divided up these, these two verses. And so the thing that we don't do is we don't give in to sinful desires. This is my new response to the question, how far is too far? I get asked that a lot. How far is too far? Don't give in or abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. It was 1 Corinthians six eighteen, which says flee sexual immorality. Now I'm just gonna say, Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Abstinence is like the least cool word in the world, right? Like abstinence. Ugh. Unless it's paired with sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Hurrah! He's saying you have desires within you that you're to fight with all your might, with everything you can, you're to draw enemy lines and not cross. You're to put up barricades. These things are within you that seek to carry you away and you're to fight, abstain from them, suppress them with all of your might. And this flies in the face of, well, I wouldn't have this desire if God didn't want me to. 
wouldn't have this desire if God didn't want me to. That's crazy talk. That's satanic talk. I, I love the rationale of children. I have three of them, and my girls, you know, they're in this, like, anti-drug program at school, and they're just like, Daddy, why would anybody smoke cigarettes? And, like, their rationale is so logical. They're like, okay, like, let me just get this straight. If I do that, I'm going to get addicted to it. I'm going to have to pay for it. It might kill me, and it can hurt those I love. Daddy, why would anybody do that? And I'm like, man, that's, that's a great question. I don't know, you know. Your mom smoked. I never did, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I did. Uh, and they're like, oh, this is a good one. They're like, Daddy, if you don't get married till you're like in your 20s, then why would anybody ever spend time with boys? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Jesus. I'm like, that's the most brilliant thing I've ever heard anybody say. <laughs> you are so smart. So why do we get drunk? Why do we get high? Why do we sleep together? Sinful desires, which wage war against our soul. You have desires inside of you that seek to kill you. This weekend, I went on a double date with my wife and two close friends of ours, and we went fishing, which, you know, I never really loved to fish, but we had a blast. And there, we had three rods, and reels on the boat and there was one that kept catching you know we kept catching fish and and um, it was no confusion as to why like you looked at the lure and I mean it just looked real it looked like uh, a real tiny alive fish though it wasn't and and I just thought about what we were doing we were lying to those fish right they have this desire inside of them to eat they chomp down on that lure those three-pronged hooks with sharp ends, grabs the inside of their cheek, if that's even a thing, and we pull them into our world, then that's what's happening to you. That's what's happening to you. There is an enemy who appeals to the sinful desires which wage war against your soul, and he teaches you to justify it. It's natural. God created that. Hey, I'm just, God wants me to have nice things. And he, he, he gives you these, feeds you these lies and you bite down and you are pulled into his world. Deeper into his world. And so there's a hook there. And we're to kill sin or sin will kill you. Kill sin or sin will kill you. You gotta have a battle plan. What's your battle plan? Art of war, man. How you, what are you doing? How are you doing? What's your plan? I, um, when I was in high school, we went to a rival high school. I'm sitting in the bleachers, and uh, I was with two buddies, just the three of us, which was stupid. And uh, we're sitting there in the bleachers, just the three of us at a rival high school. And there's this guy there that doesn't like me that goes to the high school. And at halftime, it's a basketball game. At halftime, he goes to the middle of the court and he throws up his hands. And he, he points at me and he throws up his hands. And he's like, you know, we're going to do this. And I'd never been in a fight, but I was about to be in one. And 
and, and I wasn't even, I, would, I was like, I was fine with that. Like, this is about to happen. And, and I mean, you know, we're, we're going to go out back, just like you see in the movies, on the asphalt, and under a street lamp at night. And uh, I'm serious. And there's like hundreds of people there from their school, which was a terrible idea for me. And, and uh, my buddy's like, what's your plan? I'm like, what do you mean, what's my plan? I'm going to fight. He's like, no, man, are you going to go like uppercut? Are you going to take it to the ground, Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Like, what's your plan? I'm like, man, I don't know. Hurt him? Win? I don't know. What's <laughs> He's like, dude, you got to have a plan. I'm like, okay. So then that's kind of spinning around in my head. We go out back, right? And this thing goes down, and I'm on my back, and he's on top of me, just punching me as hard as he can. And all I can think about is, dude, he had a better plan, you know? <laughs> and then it's over. You know, I'm kind of in and out of consciousness. It's a really sad sight, bleeding. And my buddy, truth teller, is like, you didn't have a good plan, bro. <laughs> I'm like, thanks a lot. What's your plan? What's your plan in the fight, in the battle, with the sin that wages war against your soul? What's your plan? Some of you are not planning to sin. That's different than planning not to sin or planning to not sin. This is the most confusing thing I'm going to say tonight, but it's really important. So stay with me. If you're not planning to sin, you're not planning. It's, it's this passive thing. Oh, I don't, man, I don't know. We're going to hang out. We're going to go see a movie. I'm not planning to sin. Oh, yeah. That has never worked for anybody. But if you're planning not to sin or planning to not sin, one, you're not planning. The other one, you're not sinning. One, I'm not planning. The other one, I'm not sinning. I'm planning to not sin. Right? You're like, you're like well, we're going to go on. I'm going to go on vacation with my girl, man. It's going to be great. You know, we've been doing great with this purity thing. Got, got a hotel room. Two beds, though. Two beds. I'm not planning to sin. You're right, you're not planning, period. You're not planning. That, that's, that's what you're not doing. You are not planning. Because that's very different than, no, I'm going to go and we're, I'm going to stay with a buddy. I'm going to put her up in a hotel. I'm going to stay with a buddy. I got my boys texting me every hour. They're going to call me, call them before I go to bed. Well, I'm, not, I'm waging war against the sinful desires which wage war against my soul. I'm, I'm in a battle. I'm fighting. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make sure that I don't do that. Jesus matters way too much to me. Ah, man, I'm going on this bachelorette party, hanging out with these girls. They're going to be doing all the things that I used to do. Not this time, though. I, I, I'm going to go. I'm not planning to sin. How are you planning to not sin. I mean, my girls text me. I'm not going to drink because I don't want to impair my judgment. I want to make sure I'm on mission, sharing with them how Jesus has changed my life. Texting my girls, have them praying for me. Some of you are like, man, that doesn't sound like much fun. Man, being on mission's fun. Sharing Christ with your friends is fun. Bragging about how Jesus has changed your life is fun, meaning bragging on Jesus, not yourself. That's fun. Watching people pass from death to life, that's fun. Seeing God, his Holy Spirit, change someone's eternal destination, that's a whole lot of fun. I'm not planning to sin. I'm planning to not sin. 
One, you're letting your desires determine your plan. The other, you're planning to not give in to your desires. And Peter, he's been talking about growing up in the faith. It, we missed, we skipped in chapter one, verses 13 and 14, so let me read them to you now, because Peter speaks circular. He says a lot of the things over and over to make his point. He says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, so there's a, sim a simile there, like obedient children, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but grow up in the faith. As David told us last week, I've said it before, a sign of maturity is not doing what you feel like doing. A sign of immaturity is following your desires. I've had three toddlers in the home. Three children I've raised through the terrible twos. They're called the terrible twos because when they, they're two, they do whatever they wanna do. They follow their desires and it's terrible twos. But in young adult ministry, I've seen terrible 22s. Okay, Taylor Swift wrote a song about it. Terrible 22s, or I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22. And so anyways, it's where you follow your desires. We don't follow our desires. We seek God's. You know everything, God. What would you have me do? Live, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans, unbelievers, those that don't know Christ, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. My third point is do good as an example to others. You are to do good as an example to others. We are examples to the pagans around us. We're examples to a watching world. I love doing weddings, especially when people's lives have been changed here. I love when their, their old friends are there, you know, their, their high school buddies and their bridesmaids are like, man, you've just really changed. And it's so fun when God brings two followers of Christ together in that covenant. And there's this growing trend here, uh, which I'm for, but it's, it's where they haven't kissed until that moment. And I get to say, you're going to see this, you know, you may kiss your bride for the very first time, they've never even kissed. Incredible, man. And, um, and people inevitably are like, man, that's weird, which it's weird. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you. It's weird, weird. by definition, it's not normal. It's extraordinary, not normal. And I'm, I acknowledge, I'm like, man, that's weird. Let me tell you what's weird. When you see that he has disciplined his body, waged war with those desires which waged war against his soul, and that he pulls that woman into that covenant relationship, and he lays his life down for her to serve her, to put her desires before his own, that's what he's been practicing through the engagement, putting God's desires in front of his own and serving his bride-to-be. It's a beautiful, amazing, incredible thing. And when you watch her, when you watch her submit to his leadership because of the way that he puts her first in all things, that she has no other appropriate response to that than to follow him as he follows Christ. Man, it's weird. 
When, when half the people are getting divorced and another large percentage are unhappily married, sleeping on couches, not being intimate because they can't stand each other, and you see these two coming together, loving each other 60 years from now, still being unselfish toward one another, man, it is weird. It's crazy. Who won? Who won? It's an example to a watching world. We're examples. And they love it when we fail. Pagans, man, they're watching you. And when you fail, I mean, it's, that's news story kind of stuff. Another pastor falls. Another so-called Christian acting a fool. Here's what was really going on. They're all hypocrites. They love when you fail. They're watching you. And guy asked me the other day, he said, hey man, what's the best way to share the gospel with your family? He says, because we agree, man, family's hard. Like, family's, that's a tough one. He says, man, they, they, you know, they, they know me. They, they have seen me at my worst. And so, man, how do I share the gospel with them? And I just say, let me ask you a question. Have they seen you change? Because that's the foundation of sharing the gospel with them displaying the change that Christ has brought in your life. Yeah, man, but listen, I'm not perfect. Exactly. You're not perfect. You need a savior. You need a process for when they see you not perfect, that you go back to your mom and your dad and you look them in the eyes and you say, hey, will you forgive me? That's not who I am. That's who I was. You guys remember, that's who I was. That's not who I am, though. Will you please forgive me for what I just did, for what I just said, for how I just reacted, for how I just treated my siblings, for how I treated you, will you please forgive me? And that process, that will minister to them. You humbling yourself, showing them that you are led by another spirit, not the spirit of this world. And so who has God placed in your life so that you might be an example to them? Who has God placed you in their life so that they might come to know him and glorify him on the day he visits, which could mean their conversion. It could mean when Christ comes back. It, it could be this time right now between the first and second coming. Theologians disagree on what that means right there. But as I thought about it and thought about how to teach it to you, it doesn't change our application. God is going to be glorified by your friends coming to know him in a greater way by the things that you do around them that's what matters. You're an example. You may be the only Bible they ever read. You may be the only verse they ever memorize. Watching your life. There was a guy who discipled me. He's an unbelievably godly man. Knows the word. Sat down with me when I, when I became a Christian. And we just started in Genesis 1-1. And we just started going verse by verse through the Bible. And he started teaching me. He's, he's He's one of these guys, I mean, he loves his wife, he disciples his children, he's, he's really cool, calm, and collective all the time. I mean, just spirit-led guy. And I can't even imagine him as a pagan, but I've heard stories. I heard stories about how he just used to get wasted, how he used to party, the way he used to treat girls. But I can't even get my head around that because I only know the, the saved version of him. And the way that it happened is he was, would go to these fraternity parties in college and, and he would just get you know, plastered 
but he always saw these same two guys who never drank. They were kind to everybody. Everybody liked them. When people would make fun of them, they didn't seem to affect them at all. They just kind of shrug it off, go about their day, and they were always having fun. And he said he would see those same two guys all the time. And, and one day he asked them, man, how do you do this? And he got to know those guys and he got to know their Jesus. And he became a Christian. When I get to heaven, I don't know these guys. I don't know the two of them. But when I get to heaven, I'm gonna find them. And I'm gonna thank them. Because they had a profound impact on my life even though we've never met. Their example, God used to save a man who poured his life into mine so that I might teach you tonight. How, how great is God? And so people trust Christians before they trust Christ. People most often will trust a Christian before they will trust Jesus. Jesus said it. Peter's just saying Jesus' words. In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said it like this. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So there is something about the way that we act that is groundwork for the gospel. As I think about all of this, these passages, and I think about my own life and just look back on, on the sins that I've given myself to. If you don't know, if we don't know each other, I mean, you know, it was alcoholic, drug user, porn addict, sex addict, uh, just abuser of women in the way that I treated them. And God came in and he gave me something so much better. But as I, as I think about the times when my guard is down, it's almost always when I forget that I'm not home. It starts there. I start trying to make this place my home. I start pursuing my comforts. I stop doing the things that I should do. I stop prioritizing time with Jesus that particular morning. I get in the afternoon and I just want to be comfortable and I'm tempted to give in to my flesh, to invite the desires that wage war against my soul into my soul, to lower my guard and to invite guilt and shame to rule. But Christ has something better than that. And so if you're here, you might be asking, well, what if it costs me when I don't go to happy hour? Like I don't have that team camaraderie and they begin to talk about me like I'm weird. And, and what if I remain single forever because I'm unwilling to date like he does or dress like she does? And what if I don't get the promotion because I won't go to the strip clubs? And what if my family thinks that I spend too much time at church? What if I suffer for doing good? Here's how this chapter ends. If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you, underline this, as leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins. He paid for our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And so we're examples to others. 
but we have an example in Jesus to follow. And if you feel right now, listen, this is so important. If you feel like right now, you're like, man, I can't do it. I just like a dog to his vomit. I keep going back to the same sins, the same websites. When I'm by myself, that desire is, it's too big for me to fight. I'm tired of fighting it. I don't know how to win. And I don't want to end this relationship. I mean, you might call it an idol, but I call it love. And I don't, we're going to see where this goes. And You know your struggle. And you're like, I can't win. You can't win. And Jesus won for you. Jesus paid for it. You have an example to follow. You cannot win without following Christ. You're a Christ follower, a Christian. You have to keep your eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame for you and for me. He's the only one that's been here that came from there that to here and endured this place who didn't do all the things that we shouldn't do and who lived the righteous life that we desire on our behalf. I told you I love to travel and my favorite place is um, a place in Mexico, kind of the Riviera Maya, Playa del Carmen area. It's where I went for the first time on my honeymoon with Monica. And so for the past 12 years, we've gone back every year. And I kind of pride myself as, as being an expert on that area. I mean, if I lost my job in ministry, I, I think I'd go be a travel agent of sorts and just help people plan their honeymoons in the Riviera Maya because I, I love it. And, um, and my friend Elena, is, who's on staff here, is getting married this weekend and she's honeymooning in the Riviera Maya. And she didn't ask me my opinion, which was extremely offensive. And so I'm like, Elena, she's like, I can't talk about it. It's just too stressful. All the details are done. I'm like, no, no, we got it. So I go and I, I book an appointment for, on her calendar. I'm like, we're going to talk about this. And, uh, and we sit down and, and I loved, I'm like, what do you want to do on your honeymoon? Besides that, what do you want to do on your honeymoon? And and I'm like, where do you want to go? Do you want adventure? Do you want relaxation? What do you want it to look like? And she starts to tell me, well, you know, we like to go and do a little bit, but we want to relax a lot by the pool, by the beach. I'm like, okay. And like, well, what do you want to go and do? Do you want to experience the culture of Mexico? Or do you want to go see Mayan ruins? Do you want to go to Coba, Tulum? Or you could go to Ishkadet. It's like this kind of Mexican Disney world. Or, or do you want zip lines? Because we could go to explore some of the best zip lines I've seen. Or, or, oh, there's these cenotes right where you're staying. A cenote is like an underground river where you, you get in this tube and you go through this river that's underground. And you have stalactites and stalagmites. Oh, one of my favorite places, Elena, is it's, um, Isla Mujeres. It's, it's a 30-minute ferry ride from Cancun where you're getting off. You're going to be right there by the airport. It's a $6 ferry ride. You get on the ferry. You go to Isla Mujeres. It's where the Corona commercial was filmed. If you've seen that beautiful beach, the sugar white sand, the, the clear water, Isla Mujeres. You can take a golf cart. What do you want to do? She'd be crazy not to talk to me. <laughs> I've been there lots of times as a foreigner. I know what to do. I know what not to do. If you're going to endure this world, you would be out of your mind not to spend intentional time with Jesus, knowing his word, 
understanding what he says, hey, here's where life is. There's not life there. The pagans are going to tell you there's life there and they're wrong. You're going to find death and divorce there. But if you go this way, as a stranger, as an alien, as a weirdo, as someone who's out of his mind for the sake of the gospel, you're going to find life in Jesus Christ alone. Why wouldn't you do that? If you didn't prioritize time with him today, you're going to wake up tomorrow and I urge you, I beg of you to prioritize. For the next 30 days, take a 30-day challenge. If you hear this anywhere you are in the world, I want to challenge you to 30 days of spending the first 30 minutes of every single day, not five days a week, seven days a week, the first 30 minutes, I want you to carve out for Jesus. If you're like, I'm not a morning person, get some coffee or something. But you prioritize time with Jesus for the next 30 days. If you're in on the 30-day challenge, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to say, hey, I'm in on the 30-day challenge. I'll do it. I'm going to do it with you. We're going to be doing it right together. Everybody, I saw thousands of hands go up. All of us, for the next 30 days, we're going to start our life with Jesus. And we're going to ask him, what do we do and what do we not do? And would you remind me that I don't belong to this world? As we worship him now, I want you to beg him for that. Ask friends to hold you accountable. Uh, Ask others, text them, say, hey, I'm gonna text you every morning after I spent time with Jesus. If you fall off the bus, get back on. Okay, let me pray. Lord, we love you. We do thank you so much for your example in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the things that you've taught us this evening through your servant, Peter, for these two verses full of truth that we can apply to our lives. God, as friends gather all over the country tonight in El Paso and Tulsa and Houston, the Woodlands, Spring, and my dear friends in Fort Worth, God, would you renew our hearts around the reality that we don't belong to this world in its current state. You're gonna perfect the world. You're gonna lay your kingdom here. We're gonna live in paradise forever with you. And Father, I know that there's friends right now listening who have not trusted in you through your provision in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection as a payment for our sins. And so as we sing this song, would your Holy Spirit move into their hearts and show them that you are the God, the only God, the one true God, the creator of the heavens and the earth who have called them to know you. Would you do that now, please, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen.